Welcome to episode 51 of Lakeshore Christian Church's Midweek Video Podcast. I'm Pastor Randy Cordell. We're coming to you live from our studio at our Antioch campus here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. We're glad that you're joining us today. Uh, if you haven't already done so, we want to encourage you to uh, subscribe to the podcast. Just hit that subscription button. You could also hit the notification bell so that you can get notified every time we post a new episode. Even though we come to you live at noon on Wednesdays, uh, we post it after that, and you can listen to it anytime on most popular podcast platforms. We thank you for joining us. We are on the podcast each week. We are looking at the message series that we're doing here at Lakeshore Christian Church on Sundays. And right now, we're in a series called Summer in the Psalms. In fact, we just got uh, one more week left in the series. And this past Sunday, we looked at Psalm 110. Um, it's a psalm that is often referred to as the, the center of the, of the gospel in psalms. It's, it encapsulates, it's like a, a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And uh, in this psalm, we learn some things about ourselves that the psalmist was speaking uh, to Israel, but also to all those who would come after that when he wrote the psalm, uh, looking ahead to God keeping his promise to send this Messiah, this Savior, the Deliverer. But as we talked about this past Sunday, uh, Israel especially, and, and I think even, even since then, uh, that time period, we have oftentimes tried to put our own spin or our own interpretation on what this psalm is saying. Uh, Israel was looking at this psalm as a prediction of a coming ruler, and uh, there is that indication in the psalm that a ruler was coming. But in their minds, they had interpret that, interpreted that to mean an earthly ruler for an earthly kingdom. In their minds, the answer to their problems would be getting the right king, getting the right ruler to come who would rule justly for them and help them overthrow their enemies so that they could reign and rule uh, as the number one uh, kingdom in the world. And God was not making that promise. That's not what the psalmist was talking about. His, his promise was for them to put a hope in a coming ruler of an eternal kingdom. Uh, but I believe we underestimate uh, where to put our hope when we underestimate the brokenness of the world. We underestimate the, the brokenness of our own hearts. We talked about those two things Sunday where our hope is in the wrong place a lot of times because we underestimate those things. Uh, when we underestimate the brokenness of the world, we start thinking the problems of the world can be fixed by some earthly leader, some earthly ruler, some earthly program or system or political party or system. Uh, if we could just get that in place, if we could just establish that, we could fix the problems of the world. And throughout history, mankind has tried all different kinds of systems. Uh, there have been all different kinds of leaders that have risen and fallen throughout the ages. And none of those leaders, none of those systems has been able to fix everything to get everything in order. It's because we underestimate just how broken the world is. We are fallen people under the curse of sin, and the whole world is under the curse of sin. So the, the thing that will fix it, the thing that will bring healing, is not one of those temporary things like a system or an earthly ruler. It's the eternal healing that takes place when the cure for sin is applied to the problems of the world. And that, of course, was the promise this psalmist was talking about. David was talking about in this psalm, looking forward to the coming of this ruler who would be the answer to the world's problems because he is 
an eternal ruler of an eternal kingdom. Now, when they misunderstood that, they misplaced their hopes. So from that point on, they kept thinking, is this the one? Is this the one? And even when Jesus came, they weren't sure he was the one because he didn't do what they thought he was going to do. He didn't set up an earthly kingdom like they were hoping for and looking for. He didn't overthrow Rome. He didn't lead them in a rebellion against those that were oppressing them. And so they assumed he couldn't be the one that the psalmist was talking about. And, of course, we see that in the, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, when the gospel is first being preached, Peter in Acts chapter 2 indicates that Jesus was the one who fulfilled that promise. In Matthew 22, uh, we find that Jesus even called out the, the Jewish leaders on this uh, when he was here in his earthly ministry. He questioned how they could be thinking that, that it was an earthly ruler when David, speaking by the Spirit, he says in Matthew 22, ver, ver, verse 43, he calls him Lord. He's saying that couldn't mean then it was an actual son of David or ancestor of David in the earthly sense because David wouldn't refer to his own son as Lord. So he says that someone else, it's a, it's, a, it's a higher thing than what you're thinking. It's a bigger thing than what you're thinking because you've underestimated what it's going to take to fix the brokenness of the world. It's going to take nothing less than radical transformation by a power greater than ourselves. And that leads to the second thing. We underestimate the brokenness of our own lives, our own hearts personally. And so we keep trying to fix that ourselves. Uh, for, the, for the nation of Israel especially, they were trying to fix it through getting the right ruler. But for their individual lives, they thought their priest offering sacrifices for their sins, their keeping of the law in addition to that would, would get them to where they needed to be so that everything would be good between them and God. And that's a, that's a critical underestimation of sin and our own brokenness and sin. If all we had to do was do better at following the rules and our sin problem would be fixed, then it would have been fixed a long time ago. People have been trying to do that forever. Self-improvement books have always been some of the most popular books ever published. It's because we keep thinking if we do step one, two, three, four, and five, we get all those things right, then our lives will be fixed, everything will be good. But we all, we all know, even with improvement, even when we do better at those things we're trying to improve on, we still have a sin problem. It doesn't just go away. And that's why when we underestimate the, the depth of the sin problem in our lives personally, we keep chasing after the wrong things to fix the problem. Uh, and again, keeping the law not only didn't fix the problem, trying to keep the law actually uncovered more of the problem. The more they, they looked at the law and tried to measure themselves against the law, the more the law pointed out just how flawed we as individuals really are. None of us have ever perfectly kept the law of God. We've all sinned, the scripture says, and come short of that. So the answer can't be, well, let's just start obeying the law better. There's nothing wrong with trying to do better, trying to improve your life, take steps that uh, will allow you to improve maybe in, uh, in, in the job or the career that you have or steps to be a better husband or a better father or mother or, or a child. Uh, all those steps you take to get better at those things, those are good, but they're just, they're just not going to fully fix the sin problem. So we need something better, something bigger. And in, and in this Psalm 1, uh, 110, he says something that can be pretty confusing. He says in verse 4, 
the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. The one he's talking about here, he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And if you don't know much about uh, this Melchizedek guy, it's because there's not a lot written about him in Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, the only mention of him uh, was found uh, here and in Genesis 14 and verses 18 to 20. In Genesis 14, we have this account, the introduction of Melchizedek. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to the God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And that's it. It's just encounter that he had with Abraham that one time when Abraham was coming back with the spoils of war from victories that, that God had given him in defeating the kings that he had battled against. And he honors Melchizedek by giving him a tithe, a tenth of all the spoils. And together they offer praise to God for the victories. Well, we don't know a lot about that except that the Hebrew author really gives us more insight. This is uh, something that is referred to in other passages, but in Hebrews 7, we have the longest explanation of what this is talking about. I want to read through some of it quickly here on the podcast. It says, beginning with verse 1, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem means king of peace. And he goes on to talk about how we don't have any record of his beginning or his end. He's without genealogy, he says, without beginning of days or end of life. Resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So this Melchizedek was a foreshadowing of the coming of this one without beginning, without end. He was a foreshadowing of looking ahead to the one who would have an indestructible life, it says in Hebrews, uh, that could uh, that he could be a priest forever, uh, and he's he emphasizes in in this passage too, and and uh, Hebrews that the former law would be set aside because it was weak and useless; it made nothing perfect. But he said a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. That better hope is found in this indestructible high priest who would dwell and reign forever. And, of course, he reveals him to be Jesus. So we underestimate, really, our need for Jesus. That's the problem. We think we can fix things by every other thing we chase after and try to do to make things better. And I love when people are really wanting to improve their lives and do better. That's a great thing. Just understand how limited we are in doing that so that we don't miss out on the fact that we need a Savior. Even when we're doing well, even when we get things a little more in order in our lives and we seem to, to really be living a better life, and we can feel good about that, but we still have an absolute need for Jesus because of the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our own lives, our own sin. And God has promised that he would uh, send the Savior to be that hope that we need to to meet the needs of a brokenness and bring the healing that we need. He made that promise from the very beginning after man had fallen in sin, and he kept that promise in sending Jesus to us. So I love this Psalm 110. I, I love that it's really 
uh, laser focused on the coming of God keeping his promise for the coming of Jesus the Messiah. Well, this next week, we're going to finish up this series. And uh, I went back and forth on which psalm I was going to finish with. I, I was thinking about using the very last one, Psalm 150. It's a psalm, psalm of praise. But a couple of weeks ago, I really focused on that psalm already a little bit in connection with another one that we're doing, uh, a psalm of praise. And so I decided to do a different one. I decided to do a psalm that's actually my wife, Sue Ann, is her favorite psalm. One of her favorite passages in all of Scripture is Psalm 139. I want to read through just a portion of it because um, I, I love this part of this psalm too, and I believe it is so needed in our world today with the confusion that we see going on with self-identity that people are struggling with. He says in Psalm 139, beginning with verse 13, speaking to God, it's the psalm of David, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Uh, it's just a psalm that reminds all of us of some really important things. First, God knows you very intimately, the good and the bad and the ugly, and he loves you. He knows every detail of your life, and he loves you. Every individual in the world needs to know that's how God looks at you. He knows you. He's, he is with you all the time, wherever you go. He says in this psalm, no matter where I go, uh, whether I go to the heights or to the depths or, or in the dark or in the light, wherever I am all the time, God is there with us. Now, that could be kind of scary if you didn't think God was for you and you didn't think God loved you. But God is with you wherever you go because he loves you. He doesn't want you to have to go through life on your own without his presence, his power, his provision. So he is a God that is close, a God who knows you intimately and who loves you. And we really need to be reminded, and we'll talk more about it this Sunday, that God made you himself. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He, he formed you. The, the scripture says that we are his masterpiece. His, his, uh, he, he made us on purpose the way that we are. So we need to learn to value God's creative mind and love and how he's provided for us exactly what he wants us to have, to be exactly who he wants us to be. And we need to value that and treasure that and thank God for that. Celebrate that, how God has made us the way he wanted us. The scripture says we are made in his very image. From the very beginning in Genesis 1:27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So as he knit you together in your mother's womb, he formed you to be who you are, who you were born to be. He made you that way in the womb. And he wants to, to, to put in your heart and in your mind this knowledge that he loves you and made you the way you are on purpose and he has a good plan for your life, the way that he made you to be. 
In Ephesians 2.10, it says this, We are God's handiwork, that's sometimes translated masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a good plan for your life. This Sunday, I'm going to mention again my life verse. I, 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 have, uh, I just love this verse because it is so encapsulates what I believe is God's will and plan for us. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he says, all right, here's how you live that out. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Listen to what he's saying. When you... When you have your mind renewed when you're transformed by the renewing of your mind you begin to think the way god thinks about yourself about your life about others he says then you'll be able to figure out what god's will is and here's how he describes god's will his good pleasing and perfect will god's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect he wants what's best for you he knit you together, he formed you as you are, and he's got a plan for your good, a plan that will bring you the pleasure that he wants you to enjoy in this world and in eternity, and his will, his plan for you is actually perfectly complete for your whole life to live forever with him. So I hope you'll join us this coming Sunday. We have services at the, at the Antioch campus at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., we have a service at the Smyrna campus at 10 a.m., and we live stream our services every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., uh, and if you miss it live, you can go back and catch it once it's posted there and uh, enjoy that and participate with us in that anytime that works with your schedule. Before we go today, I want to share just a few events we've got going on right now here at Lakeshore. We are about to finish up our school supply drive. This coming Sunday will, will be the end of that drive, so you still have some time this week to get those donations in. Uh, we are partnering with Youth for Christ at the Antioch campus with families they've identified that need some help. And we're partnering with uh, Smyrna Elementary School at the Smyrna campus. And we have uh, supplies that we need donated to give to families to help out. School's about to start. I can't believe how quickly it seems like this is happening, but it's already just around the corner here. We also have a life group leader training coming up on the Sunday, uh, August the 6th. It'll be at 5 o'clock at the Smyrna campus. And this is for anyone interested in leading a life group here at Lakeshore. You don't have to commit to doing that yet. If you just want to get more information, find out more about what it means to lead a life group, this is a good uh, training for you to go to. Uh, make sure, though, you sign up in advance so they can have the materials that they can plan for your being there for that training. We have a summer celebration coming up. We're partnering again with Camp YI in Laverne. It's going to be Saturday, August the 12th from 3 to 7. Uh, it's going to be an amazing day of fun and fellowship. We've got the swimming pool will be open. There'll be a water slide. We're fishing off the dock there at the lake. We'll have indoor and outdoor games as well as dinner and a devotion to end the day. Uh, it's just $5 per person. You can register on our website at lakeshorechristian.com or on the kiosk in the lobby at either campus. Uh, we want you to register in advance because we have to get a count of how many to plan for for the meal and for the games and all the activities that are going on there. And if you're new to Lakeshore, we've got a welcome lunch coming up on Sunday, August the 20th. Uh, it is immediately following the 11 o'clock service at the Antioch campus and immediately after the 10 o'clock service there at the Smyrna campus. But you need to register in advance for that. It is free. 
the lunch is free, but you need to register. And when you register, you select from the different lunch options for yourself there, and you let us know if you need child care. We want to be prepared for that, have all, all the lunches that we need to have and have the child care uh, covered like we need to have it covered. So make sure you register in advance. Again, you can do that at the, uh, at the kiosk at either campus, or you can do it on our website at lakeshorechristian.com. There are lots of other good things going on. We encourage you to follow us on social media. We're mostly on Facebook and Instagram. And, of course, you can visit our website regularly. Again, it is lakeshorechristian.com. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope you'll come and see us soon as we continue to connect, grow, and serve at Lakeshore Christian Church.